Hi and welcome back to Perfect Imbalance, the podcast all about well-being, happiness and achieving greater fulfilment in our lives. I'm your host Jeff Way and I'm back with episode 29. I'm very excited to be able to share this week's guest interview in a moment. Before I do that, I'd like to give a big shout out to Angela Cox, last week's guest. There's been such a lot of interaction across social media and people have been inspired and uplifted by hearing Angela's story. So big thank you to Angela and also for those that have followed, listened and got involved with the conversation. Now this past week, I've been to see my youngest daughter in her school play twice and been struck by how important it is to be able to provide a platform for little ones and people in general to have a voice and an opportunity to be part of something bigger than themselves. This week I've also been working behind the scenes on designing some sponsorship opportunities for partners to get involved with the show as we move into series three and 2019. Very exciting discussions are taking place already and I hope to share more in the coming weeks. Now, if you're a brand or a service that you think fits well with the show and you want to find out more information, then please do get in touch. Details can be found in the show notes. Now on to this week's guest episode where I talk with Kate Richardson-Walsh, Olympic gold medal winning captain and the most capped female hockey player in her country's history. Kate is inspiring and very much herself. Something I like to refer to with my guests on this podcast as being unashamedly themselves. During our conversation, we discuss a number of topics, including how Kate has adapted from life as an elite sportsperson, imposter syndrome, asking for feedback, plus doing a role that allows you to find a higher purpose. Here's Kate. Kate, thank you very much indeed for agreeing to come on the show and to take some time out and share with myself and the listeners what you're up to. It's an absolute pleasure to be able to spend a bit of time with you and ask you a few questions. So thank you very much. 
No problems at all. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. Now, let's dive straight in and get your thoughts on work-life balance. So I uh, sent you some stuff uh, which I'm promoting or talking about in terms of perfect imbalance, but I'm asking each of my guests at the very start of the interview, what are your thoughts on work-life balance? Mm. Um, well, I think it's very individual um, when I think about work-life balance. And I think as a hockey player, when I was a full-time hockey player, um, I think for long periods, I think that was probably lacking. Um, and not always to the detriment of my performance, which I think I think other people found challenging. Um, so I think you'll hear from a lot of athletes, people say, oh, they're obsessed um, with trying to be the best athlete that they can. And then the outside perspective of that can be that they're, um, they're not looking after themselves. They're not um, giving themselves enough time away from the sport to um, kind of recharge and reset their batteries. Um, and that, that can be really difficult for the athlete in that position because they feel like that they're doing the right thing um, and they're in a good space potentially. Um, and then that pressure to to then give up time to to do other things can can then be quite challenging. However, having said that, I think towards the end of my career, um, I realised that I actually did I did need that time away from um, the day job um, and actually just mentally just switching off. Um, and whether that's doing yoga for half an hour or taking myself to a museum for a couple of hours on a Friday. I, that was just really important time for me to to stop those constant thoughts and processes and questions just going on around the team, the coaching staff, the program, how can we make it better? Um, and so for me, I think towards the end of my career, I think I my thought process has changed around work-life balance and actually it, it is individual and I think it will change. I don't think it's a constant state of balance or imbalance as you say um I think it's just giving yourself time to be curious about it and make the best decisions for you in that moment and I think that's all any of us can do yeah I think uh, you hit the nail on the head there when when you talked about it being individual and you know really good example there of you know yourself but also others that you know, when, when you're in that sporting space which, which you've come from, um, others can view you as, as obsessed, but actually it, it's it's allowing you to, you know, to drive that performance and, and to improve that performance and get a better performance. But what's fascinating as well is listening to you also talk about um, how, you know, coming towards the end of your career, you've actually started to, to look at things slightly different. And, and balance is, for me as well, something that moves. Um, you know, when we are focused on a particular, you know, task um, or, or objective or, or a goal, then typically some of that balance is going to go. But as you said there, then it's having that awareness that says, you know, I'm going to go and spend a couple of hours on Friday looking around a museum or, or I'm going to take the time to, you know, switch off and, and, and do some yoga and get a little bit of that balance back. OK, now moving away from a traditional job title, uh, describe what it is that you do and why people want to work with you at the moment. Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I've not really considered that. Well, I can tell you what I do. So. 
Um, having retired um, from playing hockey after Rio 2016, um, I continued to play hockey for a little while. So I went over to the Netherlands with my wife Helen to play at a club uh, called Bloemendal over there. So kept kind of hockey uh, in the system, kept some continuity, um, but then started to um, forge a career as a, a public speaker, um, going into companies. Um, and also schools, so very different um, contexts and very, um, well, not very different, but different kind of um, topics that would be talk I would be talking about. And I also did that alongside Helen. So we were starting to, over a period of time, formulate almost a, a consultancy or a workshop type format where we'd go into companies or schools and just talk and and hopefully use some of the things that we've learned over our 17 year international career that we think will not only help teams perform at a very high level consistently but also will help those individuals in those teams thrive and get the best out of themselves and everybody else in that team so I think we're fascinated both of us by um, people by teams by groups of people um, and and really you know we spend so much time at work and if we're if it's if it's so stressful that we're hating it um you know can we do something about that because I don't think you can take all of the stress away but I think you can manage that stress and uh and actually use your time there in a positive way fantastic and and at what point did you have the realization that for you your competitive career was coming to an end and you were then, you know, formulating some thoughts and, and, and deciding about what, what to do next. Um, I think for the last probably four years of my career, I kind of knew that it was, you know, it was going to come to an end soon. And, and Olympians and Paralympians live in four-year cycles, four-year Olympic cycles. And so having... I think having for the first time ever in our lives in the lead up to London have a full-time centralised programme for three years and win the, winning that bronze medal in London, it just felt like we were so close to something amazing. Um, and so it wasn't it wasn't the right time to retire then. Um, and I felt like I had four more years in me, um, which is kind of the question you're asked by the governing body. Um, but I did know that, that that then would be my last four years. So that made things difficult and challenging at times knowing the knowing of that um but I also think it kind of galvanized those of us that who knew that was our last cycle it galvanized us and particularly helped us I think out in Rio in um 2016. Were there a number of you that, that retired after Rio? Yeah, so you, I mean, there's always from because we have a squad of 31, so only only 16 get selected to the Olympics with three reserves, and we normally from the squad of kind of that size of 30, you normally get eight, eight-ish leave the program. Um, sometimes a bit more, sometimes a bit less. Um, yeah, from that from that squad, we we had a number of uh, retirements from that Rio squad in particular. So the 16, there was myself, Helen, Krista Cullen. Georgie Twig and Hannah McLeod um, and Sam Quick has stopped at the moment but she she might go back so um, there's there was a good number of that squad that that stopped. And what for you was your thinking around then going into 
you know, a, a speaker type role and, and an ambassador? What, what was driving your thoughts at that point? Um, I'd done a little bit of it uh, previously, as I said, as as Olympians, Paralympians, the funding isn't that high. So I did a little bit of it, particularly after London, having won that bronze medal, um, to kind of boost my um, income. Um, and I guess, I mean, I, it developed, I think, over a period of time. I think being made captain, I think certainly you get put in those positions on a relatively regular basis. So, you know, out in front of people sharing your story or sharing the team's story. And I think the thing that really, um, I think the thing that really kick-started it after Rio was I think having that gold medal, I think gives people assurance that what you're saying is true, interestingly, because I think, that, you know, how you measure success is, is quite interesting. Um, but people tend to want to listen more, which, are, um, which is great. Um, but I don't think that, in itself that gold medal is the measure of success I think some of the things that we were doing previously in other cycles and particularly in the to London were just as innovative and just as important and just as vital for any team just because we didn't win the gold medal didn't mean we weren't successful in my eyes so um but I think that's why it developed and it's it's a kind of a, a good story and then it was we won the bronze we then had some very dark moments where we've we failed as a squad and as individuals and then had 18 months to turn it around before Rio um, and ended up winning two gold medals, the European Championships in 2015 and then the Rio gold in 2016. So it's, it's a nice kind of story with the roller coaster that lots of people, well, everybody and companies um, go through. You know, it's never a straight line trajectory to, to your goal or your mission or your vision. There are ups and downs and I think people like the sharing of that. Yeah, I think, you know, you're absolutely right. As, as a member of the public, uh, we, we do get carried away. Uh, we do want to hear more when we have successful, uh, especially gold medal winners. Um, that's take nothing away from those that, that get silver. And indeed, you, you got bronze yourself in, in London. But we do, we do put you on a pedestal and, and almost want to understand a little bit more about how you got there. And, and what's fascinating for me is, is like you say, it's it's not a straight journey and it wasn't for you uh, and the team. Um, in fact, you went through some, some dark moments, but but then came together, um, you know, and came out of those in Rio and, and that culminated in the gold medal. Now, your, your hockey career spans 17 years and, and life has changed um, a little bit since Rio for you. Uh, how important is it? for you to be doing something that you love and enjoy? Um, I would say it's very important. And I think, I think that is the biggest um, problem, I think, for athletes who retire. I think you have done, you have been so fortunate to have done something that you absolutely love. Um, however hard it has been at times, you've loved it. And to then go and try and find something that can, you know, well, effectively replace that, and it's, it's very difficult. And I don't think you can replace it like for like. I think you've got to find um, a passion in something else. And I think that's what I think people struggle with. You know, I think we're there are lots of things we learn as athletes, lots of skills and lots of tools that I think 
enable us to go into the working world after we've retired. So, you know, we're organised, we're diligent, we're hardworking, we're good at um, cooperating with people and, and working with different people. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that transition is easy. And I think we 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 can go out and we can go and work, but whether we love it or not initially, is, I think, is a different matter. Um, but for me personally, it, it is important um, that I love what I do. And at the moment, I, I enjoy what I do. I've just started coaching hockey, and, and I love that. Um, and I do enjoy meeting different people and going into different companies and different schools. Like that part of the speaking, I really enjoy. Um, you know, and the, the the nerves that I get from speaking, that nervous energy is something that I miss from playing hockey. And so I get I get some of that, you know, release of hormones and having to deal with that fear. And I think that's a that's a good thing that I enjoy. But I think I feel like, particularly in the last few years playing the team, I think the thing that I, I enjoyed the most was that it was beyond that squad of women. It was, um, we were trying to make a difference to to society, to how people viewed hockey, to how many people played hockey. It was um, a higher purpose. And I think, I think it's that that I'm not quite got a hold of yet and I think that's why Helen and I want to work more closely with people rather than kind of go in speak and leave and perhaps inspiration for maybe an hour you know two and then it, it might go again and I think we'd like to have something that's a bit longer lasting that can really help people thrive and be the best of themselves I love that um, because you know stereotype of successful sports people transitioning into you know, motivational speaking, it would be, um, you know, very much turn up to an event or an organisation, deliver your message and inspire um, those people within within that audience and then leave. And what I love is, is this search for that deeper sense of purpose, uh, not just for you, but for your wife as well. And we, we'll come on to that a little bit more uh, or a little later on in the interview. I want to understand a little bit more about you first of all before we um, get into uh, exploring you know what you're doing and, and where you go next what are some of your own strengths traits and behaviors that have allowed you to develop and achieve the success that you have in your life so far mm. um it's quite interesting because helen's just been doing an assignment she's doing a master's in organizational psychology and um, she analysed me in terms of my career and um, what helped me get to where I got to. Um, and it was quite interesting um, having that analysis done on you because I think a lot of it was um, was was good fortune and kind of serendipitous um, opportunities that I, in some instances, took very conscious decisions to grab and others you know just just happened um and I was in the right place at the right time and, and couldn't have really controlled myself so I think <clears throat> I didn't know for a long time what I wanted to be of course growing up I couldn't have been a full-time professional sportswoman that just was not going to be an option um I was going to be a teacher and I and I think for a long time I was just bumping along the, down the road and with no real purpose at all um but I, then I 
I was watched by a coach um, who said, who was the current England coach at the time, um, and she was coaching a club team, and she asked me to go and join that team. And I think, you know, that was one of those decisions where it wasn't an easy thing. I had to travel an hour and 45 minutes one way, so three hours in the car, um, at least to train a couple of hours twice a week and having parents that could do that um, and wanted to support me doing that. Um, but that was a, that was a decision I had to, to take and I didn't know if it was the right decision. I didn't know if it was going to pay off, but I thought, you know, this seemed like the right thing to do. So with the support I had around me, I could, I could do it. So I think it's, I think it was kind of being able to see opportunities, um, for what they were and, and trying to make the most of them, um, understanding, um, that, I had to put in a lot in order to get what I wanted out of it. That it wasn't just going to be able to turn up and, and allow this to happen. I was going to have to put some work in. And I think that was, I was quite, a, I was a teenager, so I was 15, 16. So that was a quite pivotal point in my life where you're having to make lots of quite big decisions. Um, but at that moment, I think I found something in me that around being just a hard worker, just making it happen. Prior to that, I, I don't think I could, could class myself as a hard worker, really. I hated training. I hated running. I didn't wasn't particularly academic. I just was just middle of the road. Um, but I think at that point, I think training with some of the international players at that club and training with the England coach, I realised what this was going to take and then started to, to do it. Um, so I think just that ability to see opportunities, take them, and then work hard to make them make them pay off um and then I, th I suppose I don't know I guess a consistent a level of consistency so I am an I it took me and I didn't realize this till quite late on as an adult but I am an emotional person um but I think I maintained a reasonable level of consistency in that um, so even though I, my reactions and my um, behaviour sometimes seem emotional, I think they are at least consistent. So I think people can, can could deal with that, could cope with that, could understand that after a, a period of time. But I think that just being generally a consistent kind of person, um, I think really helped me. Um, yeah, there's a lovely humility about you, Kate, and. and with that it's it's that openness and that that honesty around well first of all you know you hated training um which which mm. which i'm sure a lot of sports people do but but don't necessarily share that but you you worked through that and and you focused on on what you keep coming back to and that and that's consistency uh, and through that that consistency you've ultimately been, been able to achieve what, what you've achieved but s still with that there's that humility that comes through um, and, 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 and I know doing a little bit of research on you and, and just reading through your website that, that some of that emotion that you talk about as having uh, and having that consistently that, that actually comes through in terms of what you've put out there so far and, and the, you know how you're conveying your message that 
that it's it's okay to to share you know the emotional side and and to talk emotionally because actually it's what it's linked back to mm. and it's very much what I'm picking up on that passion uh, and 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 that deeper purpose. Yeah, I think I'm just thinking about what you're saying. I think one of the other things <clears throat> that we all I think have to a larger or lesser extent is the imposter syndrome, and I and I never never ever thought I was good enough. Um, and I think that can be a negative thing, but I think for me, I made it a positive thing. So I think never, never feeling like you're good enough means that you're always striving to be better. Um, and I think as long as it doesn't boil over and become kind of very um, negative and it, that weight pushes you down, as long as that's seen as a positive thing, okay, how today can I set a good example? How can I be the very best of myself today? What can I improve on? today and it can be the smallest things but they make a big difference when you get to that top level so I do think and it never it never it never went away you know it, every night before it went when I went to bed after we played an international game I would go through every mistake I'd made in that game very clearly and visibly in my mind and then I'd you know solve it what would I do if I was faced with that situation again how would I make it better next time and I think it's that never, never being, never quite being happy with, with your output. I think that I think that was the thing that really made the difference in the end. Do, do you allow yourself a moment now when you pause and reflect back on, you know, the medals that you've won and the success that you have had? Do, do you allow yourself to say you were good enough, or or is there still that that deep rooted striving for how can I continue to be a, a better human being or, you know, better, a better wife, a oh. better partner, whatever it might be? Yeah, no, I don't think, I don't think it will ever, I don't think it will ever stop. Um, in terms of the hockey stuff, you know, I don't ever want to watch that final again, I don't think, because I know I will watch it. Because at the moment I've got rose tinted spectacles on the whole, the whole of the final that we you know, we managed to beat the Dutch, but I know that I would have made a lot of mistakes and there will be lots of things I'll watch. I'll go, why am I doing that? And I'll, you know, I'll be taken back to being that athlete again. And actually I just want to live, live with it in my brain as it is at the moment with very, very rosy view. Um, but then that does absolutely continue. You know, when, when I go and speak or when Helen and I go and speak, we'll, we'll, we'll immediately ask, you know, please, can you send, you know, feedback back to our uh, agents? Can you tell them anything that you think we can improve on or anything that you think worked that we could, you know, maybe enhance next time? You know, we, we're constantly wanting it to be better. And I think it's interesting coming outside of the sports world. Sometimes people find that quite, quite challenging um, to give what might be perceived as negative feedback, but we see it as actually ways to improve um so I think that has been that has been quite challenging trying to get that real honest you know what can we do better tell me what I can do better um because I want to do it better and that and not not really getting that back off people yeah I, I, I um, agree wholeheartedly uh, in terms of that feedback I, I I see in the corporate world where, where I deliver a lot of leadership programs there's still this hesitance and resistance to to giving feedback um, whereas actually coming from the sporting world you're you're receiving feedback all the time uh, whether that's from yeah. coaches or, or in your case you know 
self-critiquing, you are looking for those areas of improvement all the time. There's still a, a bit of a stigma and a bit of a challenge around feedback in the corporate world because even when you ask for the the stretch feedback or the development feedback as I position it, people are still more inclined to give you the good stuff, which you know is great mm. for the ego, but but actually doesn't mm. allow you if you've just come off the stage and or you've just delivered a you know a workshop to a group of people, it doesn't actually allow you to make it a little bit better for the next audience mm. or the next group. You're you're just relying on your own, you know, critique which which will will be good and will serve you well, but actually it, it's getting feedback from other people that can be the real challenge. Yeah, and I think it's when I think about it, I think that's in that's in everybody's gift. Um and so if you don't give that honest feedback, it's actually you're actually doing that person a disservice. And I know people, it's very corny that like you give the gift of feedback, but it, but it actually is because you're making that person better. And, it's, and I think it's how you phrase it, um, how you pitch it, how you um, support it. I think it's not just kind of, I you know, improve on that and then leave. I think it's, it's very much, I'm here with you. I, I think you can do this better. And I'm going to, you know, I'm here if you need me. And the team really needs this from you and and we know that you can deliver on it like that that sounds so much better than you know these are your areas of improvement in a I don't know a, a yearly re- annual review and then that's on a piece of paper and you leave and with no context and no support I think that's of course anybody would struggle with that all athletes would struggle with that when we're given feedback um it's given in context and it's given support and it's you know it's framed in a certain way and it's as you say it's constant so we're so we're used to it, um, but I think we can def that's something that can be improved massively in corporates. Yeah, yeah there's, there's still that, you know, the, the fear in, in some cases on, on behalf of the person asking for the feedback to to show a bit of vulnerability and, and you know, to, to seek that feedback. Um, th- th- there's more that can be done, definitely. Um, yeah. Okay, before we move on, I'm, I'm intrigued to understand who have been some of the great teachers and encourages in your life so far? Um, I think my parents initially, um, and forever. I think, I, I mean, you don't appreciate it when you're younger, do you? Um, but, but I try and carefully when I go into schools, I do say, you know, to the kids, I appreciate your guardians, your carers, your parents, because, you know, on the whole, they want they want the best for you, and they're completely there so you can be the best human being that you can be and um and I think probably we all take it for granted and I certainly did when I was younger but you know that the hours that my dad spent sat in a car waiting for my my sister and I to finish training and then driving you know he gave up so much of his life to do that um and I, I would not be sat here uh with those Olympic medals without without that support um and so it's you know they were never pushy uh they never forced my sister or I into anything they were very honest with us um and uh very level um and kept us absolutely grounded um but always supported us you know whether it was in sport or um other stuff um outside of sport I think they've just they've just been amazing um just not judging and just being there um, so I think my parents absolutely would be would be right up there. 
And then I guess aside from that, it would be a lot of my teammates um, that I've had the absolute honour of playing with. Um, just some quite incredible people from all different backgrounds, um, different in so many ways. And people that I probably would never have interacted with had I not been playing hockey. Um, and I learned so much um, from those people um, about life, about everything. Um, they, that was my kind of education. And I'm hugely grateful. And I'm still in touch with so many of them, which, I, which, is, which is great. Um, but I think that it's that, again, it's that understanding. They, the ones that I keep in touch with, I think, are the ones that I understand and that they understand me and they took, they've taken that time and I've taken that time to, to really, really get to know them as, as people. Um, so I think that's probably uh, the one. And then I guess then it's just any of the coaches that I've had over the years. Um, again, some amazing, some challenging, well, almost all challenging. Um, somehow, you know, having had huge conflict with, um, but all of it, I think, helping me in some way to grow. Um, and I think that's been the that's been the most important thing. Yeah, I love listening to my guests when they answer that question and, and share who the great teachers and encouragers have been, because often it's it's not. Um, you know, somebody that they, they, they've seen on a stage that, that's delivered a, you know, a message that, mm. you know, turned their life upside down and that, you know, that's the defining moment. More often and more frequently what I'm seeing from my guests is they talk about their parents and the commitment mm. and that they've given and the time that they've given up um, and how they've supported, you know, each guest through through a particular part of, of part of their life and then to hear you talk about your teammates as well is that that can often be overlooked uh, but the reality is certainly in your sport that you know you are successful as a team uh, or fail as a team and, and so you do to a degree although you know the, the outsider looking in we won't we won't get to understand fully but you do need to develop those relationships and, and those bonds with with teams and you can see quite clearly you know when when a team is not functioning well together that they, they just don't seem to have that level of understanding or belief or, or even just concern for one another yeah yeah absolutely and I think the same the corporate the corporate world I think though we think sports teams are very different to corporate teams but I think there are there are obviously some differences, but inevitably it's people, and you're having to get the best out of each other constantly uh, with all the other challenges that are being thrown at you, with all the chaos that's surrounding you. Can you stay tight together as a unit and keep and keep supporting each other? Um, I think that's the same in any in any walk of life for a team. I, I agree, and, and it's still often overlooked in, in business teams departments organizations don't don't view it as that way they they see individuals or mm. silos and 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 that that can in some cases be accepted 
uh, but actually you can see from the out again the outside looking in it's quite damaging uh, to actually what that team can truly achieve if if they were to come together. Mm. Okay, what yeah. life lesson do you wish you'd been made aware of earlier on in your career? I mean, I often say trying, you know, just to be myself, to be comfortable in my own skin. Um, I, for, for a long time, and in various different ways, um, wanted to be something that I wasn't. So whether that was in school, um, wanting to be within a certain group, um, a certain friendship group, and, you know, look, dress, sound, like that group of people to fit in rather than actually thinking well what kind of person do I want to be what clothes do I want to wear what music do I want to listen to um and then as a hockey player in the same way in the very beginning trying to be a player that I wasn't um and being comfortable with the player that I was so I I was started off in the midfield as lots of hockey players do at school and perhaps they're one of the better players so they get to to have to play centre midfield who's kind of then got a bit of a hand in everything um <clears throat> I was quite early on at county level I think it was put as a put back as a defender and I hated it and I couldn't understand why they put me back there and I was I remember just being so angry and wanting so much to be a midfielder which my sister was she's two years younger than me uh, also played for England um and she I wanted to I wanted to play like Rachel, you know, she was fast and skillful and exciting and near, the, you know, always near the kind of goal mouth. And, um, and I was the, you know, I was at the back having to organize the defense and making tackles. And, and I just, I, for, to start with, I absolutely hated that. Um, and so I had to come to terms with actually, actually, this is a, actually the right move and these coaches have made the best decision and this is the player that I am this is where my strengths lie this is actually for the best for me but I just so desperately wanted to be something else and then that also came out as when I was first made captain of the national team when I was 23 I had no clue what I was doing and so I just thought well I'll copy some of the great captains that I've played under and again didn't work and you follow authentic leaders um and so I had to really, over a long period of time, work out what that meant for me as a leader. What is authentic? What is genuine? What kind of leader am I? Can I? Do I want to be? Um, and went and set about trying to to be that. Um, so I think if I'd if I'd been you know taught that lesson earlier on, perhaps I wouldn't have had so much failure, so much um, uh, yeah, so many challenging moments. However, I mean, I'm always kind of one where I don't have any regrets or anything because I think, well, those moments of failure or those challenging things actually got me to the to where I needed to be. So actually, maybe I needed that challenge. Um, but I think that's a good lesson anyway. Just be being yourself um, and nobody else. Yeah, it's a hot topic, authentic leadership right now. And mm. for me, it's about being yourself and being comfortable with, with who you are. I love what you've shared there in terms of your own journey, if you like, through very quickly through teenage into hockey, um, fitting in, wanting to be part of this, wanting to do things in, in, in a certain way and, you know, almost reneging on that and challenging some of that and, and not being happy with some of that. But we still come round to the 
you know, the, the point that which you made at the very start was just being comfortable with who you are. Does your does your life allow you to to be a little bit more of, of who you are now? Yeah, I think I think to be fair, I think the last I think particularly in the central when we had the central programme, so the last seven years of my career, I I think I felt like I was me. Um I felt like I could be really comfortable. I felt like I was in a real safe space where I felt I could be comfortable with my own skin and not judged uh, for that and was understood um, because we spent so much time as a group doing doing that, some exercises to support that um, and just spending time together, good quality time together, I think, as a, as a team um, enabled people to feel like they could be themselves. And then, yeah, I think probably outside of hockey um I feel you, you kind of get frozen in time when you're an athlete um in terms of everything else that goes on outside of the sport so you know we'd buying a house that's not happened um the the you know the the clothes that you wear which say a lot about you as a person you know you most of the time is spent in sports kits so I can't express I couldn't necessarily express who I was or who I wanted to be in that way because we were all wearing the same thing all the time so I think finishing playing hockey has actually been quite nice because it's enabled me to explore the other aspects of what makes me me that perhaps I wasn't able to do as a hockey player yeah it's 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 great and and I can. I can sense that actually there'll be more of the real you coming through as, you know, you've, you've stepped away from elite sport and, you know, wearing the same kit every day. That, that <laughs> my, my wife mm-hmm. talks about that. And, and when she's off with, with cricket, it, she's always in the same kit. And then when she's invited to a function or an event, she's like, what do I wear? And I'm like, you're asking yeah. the wrong person. Um, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to be the one that helps you. Great. As a, an Olympic gold medal winner, and you've also been awarded an, an OBE, how has life been for you and also for your wife as you've looked to transition from a career and, and life as a successful hockey player? Um, I think it's been, it has been challenging. I think I feel we feel really fortunate that we've been going through it together. Um and I think we, we never take for granted the fact that we were able to go out on an absolute high. And l- many of our friends, lots of the people we know, lots of athletes that we know, do not get that opportunity. Um, whether they've not been selected to represent their country Olympic Games on numerous occasions, or they go and they just don't, you know, get the result that they wanted to get. And then, you know, they have to retire. Um, so we do not take that for granted and we, we feel fortunate. However, that doesn't make the challenges of retiring any less. And I think it's the, that mental shift um, from being something to not being that thing anymore and how you introduce yourself, um, where your value is, what your worth is. You know, all of the things that I knew were my strengths were based around being in that team, being the captain in that team. Um, and so when you take that away, you, you know, then start to have to really I start from the rock bottom again almost. And actually like, OK, what am I good at? What are my strengths outside of being a hockey player? Um, where do I want to go? What's my vision? What's my purpose? How am I going to get there? What behaviors are going to help me get there? 
Um, and so you kind of just feel like you're starting again, you know, but bearing in mind I'm 36, you know, when I retired from Rio. So it is, it's hugely challenging. Um, but Helen and I have been able to see each other through it. And I think we feel like we're just coming, got on the other side of it, which is great. Yeah, and that's great because the the observation and the perception will be, well, you you know, you've had a successful career in sport, you you'll be okay, mm. um, or or you'll 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 you know you'll, you'll be a speaker or, or you know you'll be a pundit or whatever it might be, and and you know the public have this perception which sometimes is true, but but often isn't, um, and often we don't take the time um, to stop and understand what what it might be like uh, to have to transition. You know, you're right. You 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 retired in your thirties, and and that that had been your career for seventeen years. You know, if you were to challenge most people in their their mid mid thirties to, you know, go and do a completely different career, they'd be they'd panic. Um, and and you can see why. You know, in the corporate world, some people really struggle. You know, if they get made redundant, having you know worked in the same place for a long time and and have done the same role for a long time, it's just a huge change. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also for parents who, and obviously I think this falls still predominantly on, on women, but when they leave um, for maternity leave, for example, and they maybe take a year, maybe two years away, that that transition again back. So you've had that initial transition of going away, starting a family, all of the challenges that that bring, and then, you know, to then go back again and change again, you know, that's re- that needs a lot of support. Um, that's really difficult. A difficult time. Yeah, it does, and, and and you're right. You know, to, to give that other example, because for, for for a woman making that decision to then go and be become a mum, very much if if they're of that mindset that they want to come back into the workplace and and they want to have a a career as as well as be a mum, that that can be a huge challenge for them. And and I think even today, you know, organisations aren't set up as as, as good as they could be in, in, in terms of being able to support and, and help with those transitions because you know if you've spent two years away and you're going back into the business you're you're, you're dealing with all the stuff at home but but also facing very different challenges back in the workplace yeah absolutely Share what your routine looks like compared to that of a, an elite performing sports person now. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear you couldn't be more opposite end of the spectrum um well as an yeah in, as an elite hockey player in the full-time program from the moment you woke up the first thing you did was um analyze yourself so you'd check your heart rate and your oxygen saturation and you'd fill in an app on your phone to say what your mental state is how your muscle soreness is how fatigued you are um and send that off to the strength and conditioning coach before he'd even eaten breakfast or got out of bed. Wow. Um, and from that, and from literally from that moment on, you were being analysed. So you'd get down to the training base and you'd do some testing to test your heart rate to check you weren't going to get ill or overtraining. Um, you'd have to do some drop jump testing to test your uh, muscle elasticity, see how fatigued you were. Um, then you'd go and train and you'd be GPS tracked so they'd know how far you'd run, how fast you'd run everything it was videoed so you, you're just under analysis the whole day um and you know you've got that constant pressure of a course in a review when you know you potentially could be removed from the program um 
there's as you said as we talked about earlier it's constant feedback from your teammates from coaches from the support services um and it was it was amazing but it is also um it is hugely challenging and I wouldn't have wanted to do anything else but that but I think you have to see both sides of it um but our whole four-year cycle was mapped out to the day you know how many rest days we were going to get how frequently we were going to travel where we were going to train who we were going to play matches against how many you know when selection was going to be for each period of that um cycle and so it's um it's very controlled you know it's um we were very i'm pleased to say not spoon-fed um and so we we did have a lot of um, decisions to make we were part of the decision making process particularly I think as part of the leadership group so there was five of us um, voted in by our teammates so you know we were in a lot of those meetings um, and so we we definitely weren't um, spoon-fed in any way which I think helped us then transition possibly out of that but now you know now I don't know what I'm doing barely week to week I have pencils of of things that might happen next week and I they very well may not happen they may then have to get scrubbed out um I can't tell you what next year looks like I can't um forecast when critical moments might be in that year I can't um you know I can't have that straightforward thinking of where I'm going to be, who I'm going to be with, at what time, for how long, doing what. I, I literally can't tell you week to week. So that's that's really challenging. It's made kind of organising food and nutrition and exercise and all, you know, giving back to myself, having that well-being, that's made that more challenging. Um, so it's it's been, uh, yeah, it, it's been good. And I've now I'm enjoying it. But I think to start with, it was... A huge shock to the oh, system. It was. Do, do you do you still use any applications in terms of tracking your your heart rate or, or anything like that? I did for a little bit. So I, um, as Helen and I went to play in Holland for that year after Rio, and I wore a Fitbit, um, and we we were we were GPS tracked actually in training at that club as well, um, which is quite a rare club. Well, in this country in particular, but um, perhaps not in in the Netherlands. Um, and I did it for a bit and I think it kind of did help again a bit of that transition of just seeing a bit of the data and knowing what I've done and that I have exercised enough and um not kind of beating myself up if if I hadn't um kind of losing that little voice that says you should have done something today you needed to do more today you could have how could you have pushed yourself a bit harder today which I think you have as an athlete um, trying to switch that off or at least dampen that down and um, when you stop I think it's quite hard if you and I remember I think Karen Pickering, Pickering swimmer actually said to me as as you taper down for a big event uh, when you're an athlete you need to taper down your career so if you just went cold turkey and just said okay I'm not going to get rid of every aspect of what it means to be an athlete and completely start afresh I think it would just be such a shock to the system that you would struggle and so it was kind of just a bit of a taper um of all of that stuff have you tapered out fully now or you, you still 
Um, so I still exercise. Um, I go to the gym. So I don't play hockey anymore, but I still go to the gym and do but do different stuff. So I don't do um, lift weights like I used to. We used to do a lot of Olympic lifting. We do three three weight sessions a week um, as athletes. But now I just do classes. I do circuits. I do things that I enjoy. Um, I mix it up quite a lot. So I find the variety really helps. So Pilates or yoga now and, and I'll run. Um, go for periods where I run, enjoy running. Um, but it's also just, you know, if I haven't got time that day because I'm back to back all day and I've started really early and I finished late, then not beating myself up um, about not exercising that day, I think, is just as important yeah, to is, me. It is for, for all of us, I think, not beating yourself up. Now, Kate, you're, you're passionate about equality of opportunity for women and the need for flexibility in what a leader should look and sound like. Can you give us a little bit more of your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I would say I'm passionate about equality for everybody. Um, And I kind of feel like everybody should feel that way because it isn't about one group of people having more than another. Equality is you know, the same levels of opportunity for everybody, regardless of your gender, your colour, your religion, your age, your ability or disability, anything, you know, we should, um, we should have opportunity. And I, there is a lot of, I think, good intentions. And I think there, there's a lot of unconscious bias um, that we still have to unlock. And um, I think support people's education and awareness um, of those of those biases because I, I just think it's hundreds, and if not thousands, of years of tradition. You know that we're having to to break down, and that is taking time. But I think if we we can fast track it by um, by challenging things when we see it, by um, talking to people. Um, by educating, I think, everybody, by um, all of us looking at ourselves first and foremost and our biases, you know, how are, what are the choices, who do I interact with, um, why have I made that decision over another decision? Um, I think we can, we can all do that in, in, in all of our lives. Um, and, I think, and I think that is where we need to be because it's been very well researched and very well documented that diverse teams um, are more successful and are more consistently successful. They are more challenging and they probably will be more uncomfortable because you have that diversity of thought. However, it will be worth it in the end. You'll be better people and you'll be better as a group, as a team, as an organization. And who wouldn't want that? Who in their right mind would not want that? And I think if we if companies don't do that, if we don't open our eyes, if we don't make sure that we are diverse and inclusive, then I think you will fall by the wayside because I think the next generation will demand it. And if you're not providing it, then they're not going to want your services. They're not going to want to work for you. Um, they're not going to buy your products. So I think it's it's get on board or, or fall by the wayside, unfortunately. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I had a conversation with one of my other guests on, on a previous episode and we were we were talking about the millennials um, 
albeit slightly different to, to race or, or gender, but a, another label that we have an, a, attached to a, a specific group of mm. people. And, you know, he was very... He was very good in terms of how he came back. And he said, Jeff, look, if we were having a conversation about, you know, sex or race, um, it just wouldn't happen. He said, but we're quite happy to label, you know, this group as the millennials when, when actually they're just mm. they're just like any other, you know, human beings. And, and we need to, where we can, break down some of these labels um, and just start seeing the value in people. Uh, and the diversity that that we can you know work with and and be part of and 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 the benefits that come with that and including you know others along the way so yeah i'm i'm totally on board with with, with what you're saying and what you're looking to do i think we're just so keen to pigeonhole people um and paint everybody with a really broad brush and actually just you know looking at people as individual people and I think part of that pigeonholing and part of that stereotyping is a means of maintaining control and maintaining power so I think a lot of the chat around millennials in corporates is a lot around the the negative aspects of being a millennial um and and is that a, a subconscious you know way of the people who aren't millennials who are the older people who have, you know, the hierarchical power in that company, maintaining that power because, you know, we're having to, we're having to deal with these millennials and they, you know, they're lazy or they, you know, they want to work these flexible hours and, you know, they need to get on board. It's not, can't be like that. We're at work now. And, and it's, it's just, um, it's fascinating. I find it really fascinating. And actually, if we just think about a really creating a really great working environment and a place where everybody feels valued, then we'll actually get somewhere rather than, you know, pigeonholing people in, in such a big, broad way. Yeah, you, you've hit the nail on the head. And, you know, the, the, the simpler the, the message uh, around creating that right environment for, for people to flourish, then people will just come and flourish. Um, and all of these labels, they do go back to control, which is from previous generations. But, you know, to go back to your point earlier on, in the future... You know, people won't want to work in those organisations. Customers won't want to buy from those organisations. So those organisations won't exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. What do you see as your own purpose and how you can make a contribution? Well, I think our vision uh, that we established as that squad of 31 before Rio was be the difference, create history, inspire the future. And although that at the time was pretty hockey focused um and we all would have taken something different away from that vision it was ours and we owned it and um I still feel that's my vision now um I feel very strongly that all of the things that I've learned uh, as a hockey player as a woman as a um as a in a same-sex marriage all of the things that I've experienced I feel like there are lessons that I've learn and that that can help me continue to help me grow and thrive and improve and move forward and develop that I can also help hopefully other people do the same thing and um and you know whatever success is to that person um that they find that and they and they strive for that and they reach that and they they have that feeling of accomplishment and I think 
that is is something that I feel really passionate about and have a purpose for. I love that. Just just the, those those first two would be the difference. Um, it just you could I can I'm replaying our conversation already, and I can I can hear a lot within that conversation that is about you and and being the difference and growing as a, as a person wanting to help others uh, also grow and develop and, and whatever that looks like to, to the other person is okay because it's it's important to them yeah excellent now Kate I have what I call some 60 second quickfire questions uh, at the end of okay. the interview for my guests this is really just to give the listener um, a slightly different insight to my guests and you know away from the traditional questions which which we may have uh, answered and explored today so are you ready okay ready social media platform of choice if you could only use one oh god uh twitter it's where i read most of my news these days i'm still holding on to twitter too um someone that you admire and admit to following on social media (laughs) uh serena williams um I admire her greatly. I think she is uh, authentic. I think she is. Um, I think she's a great example of someone who is driven, ambitious, strong, and doing it, that as a woman. It's breaking down lots of traditional stereotypical views of what we think um, a woman should be. So I, I yeah, yeah, Serena. What a role model she is. Three guests to have to dinner, past or present. Oh, that's good. Well. Well, Helen, obviously. Um, who else would I have? Oh, I tell you, I would love um, to have Maya Angelou around the table. I just think she would be the things she's experienced, the things she's seen, the way she thinks, the way she the way she spoke, everything. She would be fascinating. So her and oh, we'd need some we need some entertaining Beyonce. Beyonce, I think, would be great value. Um, I think she would, I think, again, she's lived through some interesting things and a lot of it remains hidden. So I think she would, we'd hopefully get her to have a few glasses of wine and tell us everything. Be some dinner party. No. A book that you're currently reading? I've just last night started uh, The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. Um, So I read The Talent Code. Um, and I'm fascinated by team. So, um, yeah, this is the next one. I'm on. Well, they are on our bookshelf as well. I haven't read them, but Emma has. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll, I'll come on to those next. Uh, a podcast that you like to listen to? Um, the Guilty Feminist. Ah, okay. A guilty pleasure, should you choose to view it that way, um, that you do when you have some time to yourself? Oh... I mean, I, I don't know if it's, it's not a guilty pleasure, but when I have got time, I'm a member. I got, I um, bought a membership for the V&A Museum in London, and I, I just, I just love getting lost in that museum. Um, I think you could go every day, probably for the rest of your life, and never be bored. Um, I think it's, it's a brilliant place to lose yourself for a few minutes or a few hours. An item that you take with you on a long journey. 
headphones. I love music. It's my escape. Any, any particular types, artists? Quite literally everything and anything. I don't have any opera or classical um, on my music, on my Apple Music, but everything else I think pretty much is probably represented. Okay. One thing you wish you'd invented? Oof. That's a difficult question. I mean, it would be quite good to... Um, I don't. What would you call that? So you just you can levitate basically. So you can you can basically you can be somewhere very quickly. I mean, what would we call that? Not not time travel. Just did you used to watch? Did you used to watch yeah, Rent a Ghost? Teleporting. Teleporting. That would be it. Rent-a-ghost. Yes. Teleporting. <laughs> I know that. There we. How have we gone from teleporting to Rent a Ghost? Well, they used to do that, and I as a kid I thought well, that's great because I love traveling. Um, but it would be good if you could just do that and then you could you could see lots of different places and meet lots of different people. No one else has ever mentioned Rent-A-Ghost on this podcast, so thank you. Well, there <laughs> you go. <laughs> I've got three final <laughs> questions for you then, Kate. Who would you like to see or hear as a future guest on the Perfect Imbalance podcast? I would like to hear, well, I think it would be quite interesting, Dame Catherine Granger, I think um, I think her transition out of sport has been very public and she's immediately gone into a very high profile position um, at UK Sport and has been through probably one of the most challenging periods um, of UK Sport in terms of the duty of care, some of the anti-doping um, issues that we've had. Um, I, I would, I think how she finds balance and what she thinks is balance, I think that will be really interesting. Absolutely. I've, I've watched that uh, quite closely in, in the news. And, and you're right, she's, she's, she's gone into that role quite quite quickly. And, and there's a lot been going on with UK sport. Do, do you know her quite well, Kate? I do know her reasonably well. When we've got, we have, um, I don't know why we call it Christmas steak, but we have Christmas steak. Um, last I think we've done it for the last three years. So there's um, there's Dame Catherine Granger, Goldie Sayers, the javelin thrower, um, and one of our um, physiotherapists who we all know really well, um, and Helen. And we have Christmas steak. Um, so we do we talk now and again. And when we see each other, it's um, always. Um, I mean, she's just an amazing woman. She's just got. She's so intelligent and she's got so much knowledge and um she is a brilliant leader and uh, she was an amazing you know all-time athlete you know she's really one of our best ever female olympians so if not the best so yeah right i may come back uh, to you and see if we can make that happen what no, projects don't. are you currently working on and how can listeners find out more about them um, so yeah, so Helen and I are slowly but surely, um, we're trying to write a book. Um, so keep your eyes peeled. I can't give you a time frame because right, one person writing a book alone is very hard work. Getting two people to combine their thoughts, which are usually the opposites, um, into one book is also uh, a challenge. So we'll get there eventually and um, hopefully 
people will like it. Um, so there's that. And then I think to kind of support that and or you roll that out in a more real way is exactly what I've been speaking about really is is helping people um, thrive, be the best version of themselves as an individual and as part of a group. Um, and we'd love to do that more in terms of um, consultancy and workshops with with companies and schools. So we've we've um, we've recently got a project lined up with Rodine School in Brighton, and we're going to be working them working with them on confidence and resilience and um, understanding difference and all those kind of things. So we're yeah hoping to do that in some other schools as Fantastic. well. Fantastic. Well, I will make sure there are links uh, within the show notes to the different bits and pieces that uh, you've got going on uh, on your website and, and those types of things so people can find out more about you. One final question, and the final question is your final takeaway for the listener. <sighs> is think about, uh, this is a quote that, our coach used a lot and I think it's imprinted on my brain so Danny Kerry would say this to us it's not about what you want it's about what you need and I think if you if you bear that in mind with every aspect of your life you will not go far wrong I think it's it's a really good way to base your decision making your choices your path um so yeah think think that think about that what a lovely message to lead the listeners to take away. Kate, thank you very much indeed for agreeing to come onto the show and to share a little bit of insight uh, into not, not just what you've done, which, which people won't necessarily get, get to hear some of the bits that you've shared um, up until today. They'll see the good stuff, but, but more importantly, what you're doing and, and what's driving what you're doing. So thank you very much indeed. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, to spend some time with you uh, so thank you again thank you very much a huge thank you to Kate for coming on the show and providing insight into what it's like to be involved with elite sport as well as sharing her journey since winning the gold medal in Rio 2016 you can find out more about Kate and what she's up to by checking out her website and social media channels Full details, as always, are in the show notes. Now, if you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, leave the show a rating, a review would also be fantastic too. On next week's show, I'll be reviewing the second series, looking back over the fantastic guests and insights with Dr. Emma Foden. And also with your listener comments. So if you have a favourite guest, a quote, or a particular insight that you've taken from series two, please do get in touch over social media and share them with me, either as Jeff Way on Instagram or Jeff underscore Ignite on Twitter. Until next time, thank you for listening to Perfect Imbalance. Remember this, when you have a balance, enjoy it. When you've got an imbalance, embrace it. For in those moments, you're striving towards achieving your next success increasing your happiness or looking for greater fulfilment. Bye for now.